Welcome to Superhero Century, the podcast where we watch and discuss every superhero movie since the year 2000. I am Dan. I'm Tom. I'm Matt. I'm Kat. The Fantastic Four is reunited for (laughs) episode 27, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. What a treat. If I remember right from our Fantastic Four podcast, we all assumed our own Fantastic Four identities. I believe I was Reed Richards. Cat was the thing. Yes. We certainly remember that. (laughs) Uh, I believe I was Sue Storm. I'm Jenny. So if you're new to the podcast, this is a way for us to look back and celebrate the superhero movies of the 21st century. We are watching every movie in chronological order. We rewatch the movie, we give our basic thoughts, and then we've got some fun questions and categories that will help us break it all down. So Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, came out in 2007. If you don't remember it, Kat, can you give us a 15-second recap? This is my favorite part of the podcast. Um, okay, so Reed and Sue are getting married, and on their wedding day, there is some cosmic radiation, and shit's hitting the fan in New York City. Uh, cue the Silver Surfer, who is a bad guy, but not a bad guy. Uh, we learn that every planet he goes to is being... <laughs> destroyed eight days later and we learn that his board is the source of his power but really the source of his power is galactus who is like his master and doom comes back into the picture and he's evil and he steals the board and the gang fights him and then sue dies but then she doesn't die and the silver surfer blasts himself into oblivion along with galactus and sue and reed get married again, and then they have to go and save the world again. I apologize for breaking out in laughter because I just thought of Wreck-It Ralph. (laughs) Just because you are a bad guy does not mean you are a bad guy. That's exactly who he was talking about, Silver Surfer. Yeah. So before we get into it, here are just some basic facts about the movie directed by Tim Story. He also directed the first one. Uh, Also written by Don Payne and Mark Frost. Mark Frost wrote the first one. Don Payne wrote some of our favorites, including My Super Ex-Girlfriend, and also the first two Thor movies. I thought you said favorites. Exactly. It debuted June 15th, 2007, just a month after our last episode, Spider-Man 3. It had a budget of $130 million for context. The first movie had $100 million for its budget, so a little bit more there. It made $131 million domestic, $300 million worldwide, $20 million less than the first one, but good for 18th place in 2007, it narrowly beat out Superbad, American Gangster, and B-Movie. Oh, I'm really upset about that last wow. one. I am shocked it made as much money as it did. Well, I'm surprised it didn't make more money considering the cost of silver has gone up. Boo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know what? I had more fun with that than I did with the movie, so I'll allow it. <laughs> so, b- before we get into personal reactions, I, I want to do something different for this episode. We have watched... 27 movies for this podcast now. Um, I asked you each to rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 10, and you gave me those ratings. I've tabulated all of our movies and averaged them out. Where do you think Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, fits in the rankings from 1 to 27, just based off what you think of the movie, where would it be? And this is with just our four ratings? Just our algorithms? No algorithms, just our straight up rating i'm gonna go 17 my heart says 17 i'm gonna go 22 uh i'm gonna split the difference i'll go 19 
Tom is closest. It is 20th on our <sighs> list with an average score of 3.3 out of 10. Mm. Just behind the Punisher and Ghost Rider and just ahead of Hulk and Elektra. Sounds about right. This definitely feels more in the Hulk and Elektra vein than the Punisher vein. All right, so let's get into reactions then. What did this movie mean to you personally if you had seen it before? What did you notice on this rewatch? What do we actually think about Fantastic Four? So for me, unlike many of these, you know, pre-MCU Marvel films, typically this is a movie that I would say that I watched on FX, but it's not. I can actually remember going to the theater Pretty confident I was with Cat at the time, and uh, probably I'd be willing to bet that we ate at the California Pizza Kitchen, which I miss every day we go to the Southdale Mall, uh, and that's more what I remember than this movie, because that's how bad it was. I remember being in the theaters being, we spent money on this, but it was the summer, so what else were we doing? Yeah, I don't remember that, but I also don't remember seeing this movie, really. Like I, I know I had watched it, but going into watching it tonight, I was like, I don't remember anything about this. But before watching it, I did see that it was rated PG, which surprised me. So it was interesting going into the movie with that mindset of like, this was rated PG? I don't know, just very bizarre. Yeah, before we get into the reactions, it this is rated PG. I have no idea why. It is the exact same movie as the first one, which is PG-13. It's the same as every other PG-13 Marvel movie of this time. And there's a lot of violence and sexual innuendo, and Jessica Elba is kind of naked for a little bit. Like, what are they thinking? Is there a lot of violence? I mean... For me, other than the general yeah. buying it, I don't think there's that, any... That's a pretty extreme case, Yeah, though. but there's no blood. He's, like, frozen, and then they, like, break part of him away, and he's, like, still kind of there. But it's not as far as, like graphics goes i mean we've seen at that age video games were worse than that cutscene, right but it's the same amount of violence as the first one yeah probably the same kind of movie i don't know why they gave it a pg anyway they probably just didn't want to watch it so like you know what just give it a pg no one cares (laughs) when cat was talking about not remembering it in the theater re-jogged my memory that even before we saw it and even seeing it now my brain just shakes its head at the audacity that they thought that they could get away with doing galactus in a movie, there's no that, way you can make them look good. That's, and they just that's something we're going to have to talk about later. Because that's that's a big thing. I know, but it'll come yeah. up multiple times. I'm just upset about it still. So for me, I, I didn't like the first one when it came out either. But to come off of the what I considered to be a failure uh, with Spider-Man 3 and immediately have this piece of garbage, I honestly don't know why I watched it. Like Cat, I actually don't, I didn't remember much about the actual movie. I just knew that I had this like, (laughs) like a repressed memory type thing. Like I had just like blocked it out because there's such a, I don't know. It just feels so draining to even think about it. It doesn't feel like a movie, at least for the first half of it. It feels like a season finale of a TV show from the mid-2000s where like, oh, on ABC, they've got the Fantastic Four show. And this episode, they're getting married. It's like very just like playing it very broad and trying to be funny for a very middle-of-the-road audience, but not really landing anything. It could have been a WB special, the way you just did that promo. I think that describing it as not feeling like a movie applies to this and the first one. Like they just like they don't pack enough of a punch to actually feel like a real movie. It's it's hardly a step above the like nineties Fantastic Four movie. Oof. Hardly. <laughs> I mean it, it is, but it doesn't really feel like by that much. I hadn't seen this before. We recently watched the first Fantastic Four and I thought that one was okay. You know, it has enough going for it in terms of Chris Evans and Michael Chiklis that it's at least watchable. 
This one, I actually think it improves on a few of the things from the first one. The first one, I did not like how there was hardly any action. It was like maybe two small scenes. This one at least has some actual decently good set pieces with the superheroes and their powers. Does it? I I think it does. (laughs) Think back to the first one. They don't fight until the very end. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not going to defend the first one, but I also don't think that this one does... I, I literally can think of one scene that's even remotely exciting. I think at least there's stuff going on to keep you interested. I think there are two or three action scenes that I think are decent. I'll bring that up in our best scenes conversation. I also think the first one's effects, the special effects, are so bad. And this one's not great, but it is better. The Silver Surfer looks pretty good. And a lot of the effects, I think, at least hold up for the time. They're not great, but the first one is just just egregiously bad. The problem I have with the movie, though, is the same as the first one, is that Sue and Reed have no chemistry. And anytime they're on scene together talking to each other or just interacting with anyone, it's just the movie just dies. There is no chemistry. Their dialogue is groan worthy. I just absolutely hate it. And it's partly the acting. Um, Ewan Griffith and Jessica Elba are not great. And they weren't great in the first one, and they do not improve here. Yeah, they feel more like a brother-sister dynamic or like a co-worker dynamic or something. It's very weird. This movie is also 90 minutes, and they spend the first 33 minutes on the wedding. It's yeah, odd. I'm not, I don't like any of the wedding stuff. It is one of those movies that feels longer than it is. I don't know. For anyone to be stuck in the limbo of watching this movie, it's like, it's rough. I do think, though, the Silver Surfer is kind of a cool character. Well, no one's going to argue that. He's like one of the most favorite characters of all time. Well, that's what I mean. I think whenever he's on screen, the movie comes alive a little bit. And part of that is the effects look pretty good. Part of it's Lawrence Fishburne is kind of cool. And Doug Jones with the performance. I enjoy that part of it. And I think for me, I think I like this better than the first one. Like the Silver Surfer is, I mean, it's it's pretty much the only thing about this movie that's even remotely enjoyable. But I still think that this one is worse than the first one. Because all the interactions between Sue and Reed, are, I think, are way worse here than they are in the first one. I will also add the other time that I'm happy in this movie is when Andre Brower is on screen, because he's wonderful. And Matt, you obviously know the character better, and especially Galactus. I, I don't really know much about Galactus. The Destroyer of Worlds, he's like one of those characters that I'm kind of afraid that the MCU going forward might do it, because especially in a movie like this, I mean, he's such a big threat you would need the whole Avengers to stop him or just the Fantastic Four. Like, he is a scale problem, both in how he looks and everything. Like, I'm almost afraid for him to be involved in a movie. One thing that Galactus is not is a cloud. So No, he's not yeah. a cloud. <laughs> it was just like, if you're gonna commit to the character, commit to the character, you know, don't... I think they truly could have tried to make a third movie and have it that they just fight the Silver Surfer and then at the end, all of a sudden oh, wait, the real threat's on the way? I think they could have done that as opposed to, let's put it all in one, because who knows if this will ever happen again. So, yeah, I'm never going to watch this again, but I do think it's not as terrible as we're making it out to be. If you told me I could have California Pizza Kitchen while watching it again, that's the only way you could get me to watch it again. (laughs) Would a CPK frozen pizza entice you? No. Okay. You heard it here, folks. All right, we'll we'll keep going. We've got some categories here that will help us like really break this down because there's a lot to talk about, I think. Uh, let's start with trivia. Things we found out on the internet. So this movie came out in June 2007. 
as of April 18th, so less than two months before, they had not recorded the voice for Silver Surfer. They had not even hired Lawrence Fishburne yet. They were still undecided about whether the Silver Surfer would talk or not. Was Doug Jones ever an option, do you know? So Doug Jones recorded the dialogue in his motion capture, mm. from what I understand. But while doing effects, they were going back and forth of whether to keep Jones's voice or just to make him mute and have the characters just kind of react to him. The first trailer released has Doug Jones' dialogue. Oh, I'll have to check that out. I'm curious to see what the movie would have been had the Silver Surfer not spoken. It just goes to show, though, they they didn't really have a plan. No, it it feels like there's no plan. Two months before, they didn't have a plan for their main villain or the main character of this movie, and that's not a good sign. So they redesigned the thing's prosthetics so Michael Chiklis could take it off between takes. That's nice. Did anybody think he looked better in this one or about the same? I think about the same. About I think about the same. We did mention last time that we thought his outfit was actually pretty good. Yeah, I'm not hating on it. I was just curious if anyone mm. thought it was better. There was, I feel like I could, I noticed his mouth a lot more. Like, his teeth for sure. I well, know. I mean, like Chickless' actual mouth beneath the prosthetic wow. was a, a little more visible, I think. Um, it didn't look bad necessarily it looked like how it might actually look if that was a real physical thing but yeah no i I think that the prosthetic still actually holds up fairly well general hager played by andre brower was originally supposed to be nick fury in this movie interesting i don't know if there were rights issues there from fox versus what the mcu had for nick fury but it could have been interesting if we got nick fury in this movie I think that probably would have just cost them extra. And they were like, we're buying Silver Surfer. We're not going to buy anyone else. <laughs> so in 1980, Lee Kramer wanted to make a Silver Surfer rock opera scored by Paul McCartney and starring Olivia Newton-John. I did not do any <laughs> extensive research on that, but sounds amazing. So she would have been the Silver Surfer? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I won't yes. ask questions because you didn't dig yeah. very deep into it. <laughs> Look uh, into that if you're interested. I hope that there is some sort of like proof of concept uh, where we get to hear some snippets. I'm really just picturing like the classic Olivia Newton-John workout gear, but just all <laughs> yeah. metallic silver. Yeah, just a silver jumpsuit. Yeah. Let's get metaphysical. Something that you could, <laughs> something that you could probably buy in today's day and age at like Ragstock. There was a script in development for a Silver Surfer movie in the early to mid-90s, mostly because of the success of the effects of Terminator 2. That came out, they're like, hey, we could do a Silver Surfer movie. Never came to fruition. There were also plans for a Silver Surfer prequel um, spinoff right after this movie came out because they thought this one would be a big hit and they could do a spinoff mostly just to keep the character, I think, within Fox. And then in 2018, Fox announced a new Silver Surfer movie, but it was canceled when Disney bought Fox and the rights to the character. At the time, Adam McKay was interested in directing, which could have been interesting. Could still be interesting. Maybe the MCU is going to bring him in. We'll see. So one of the bits of trivia I saw about this film, I'm going to read word for word as to not put my own bias into it. And it says, Jessica Alba, upon receiving criticism about her performance in this film, said that director Tim Story told her, it looks too real. It looks too painful. Can you be prettier when you cry? Cry pretty, Jessica. Don't do that thing with your face. Just make it flat. Or we can CGI the tears in. So... That aged well, um, and that brings me to my hot take, which is not on this movie specifically, but on the films we've watched so far for this podcast, and maybe even most all superhero films in general. I was reading up like a couple weeks ago on the Bechdel test, 
Do you do you guys know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know what that is. So the Bechdel test is a measure of representation of women in film. And I think more broadly now, like pretty much of any representation other than males in film or in books or in, you know, any type of fiction where at least two women have to have a conversation with each other that's not involving men and they have to have names. And I was thinking about it and I'm it's, like It's not even a repre- it's not even a representation metric. It is literally the bare minimum. Right. <laughs> like it's the bare minimum. Does this film pass the Bechdel test? And I was thinking about it and I'm like I don't know that many of the movies we've watched so far on the podcast have passed the Bechdel test with the exception of like maybe The Incredibles. So anyway, that brings me to this movie which does not pass the Bechdel test, but I've just been thinking about it with movies going forward. Um, it's not a very fun category to talk about, but it is pretty fascinating. And reading that bit of trivia about Jessica Alba's treatment in this film made me think of it. You know what film does pass the Bechdel test on our list? Which one? Catwoman. Cool. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I've been, I was trying to think of what else would have maybe. It's just, it's hard to think of a movie that we've watched that has two named female characters. Right, like that's the thing. The Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, The Incredibles was the only one that I could really think of. X-Men. I don't know how much Storm and Jean Grey interact or Rogue, but there are... Maybe enough, yeah. Enough probably there. Minimal. Yeah, and you know, if a movie fails the Bechdel test, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is... It doesn't mean it's bad. It's like misogynistic necessarily. Like you can have a two female characters discuss a man in a movie that's like a romantic comedy. It's just like that's how that naturally is going to work, you know? Because the flip side of that is the men are usually in the same situation, but as just like a general like, hey, keep an eye out for that, you know? All right, let's move on then to casting decisions. This is where we read about any potential casting of celebrities in this movie. This was a sequel, so not a lot of casting for the main characters. A couple options for The Silver Surfer, uh, Jimon Honsu, Gary Sinise, and Timothy Oliphant. Was Vin Diesel not an option? I didn't see Vin Diesel. He's bald, and they just could have painted him silver. No you, CGI. You are so obsessed with the bald actors. Whenever there's a bald character, you're like Bruce Willis or Vin Diesel and Correct. no one else. Correct. This is also for voice. <laughs> it's yeah. not even physical. Sure. That's fine. I'm I, saying don't. Have him be the silver surfer. You get a can of paint and a <laughs> surfboard. You don't need any CGI. What about The Rock? Yeah, he would have been fine, too. That's all I had for casting decisions. Yeah, same. So, Matt, any potential roles for Christopher Walken in Fantastic Four? Well, that's kind of a tough question here because I'm a big fan of the casting for this person already, but I would have to say General Hager. The Andre Brower character? Correct. I, I just I feel like he would do a great job of it. Just a disgruntled, grumpy... It makes just as much sense for him to do like the football stuff because like he's not even close to age of Reed Richards. Like it makes just as much sense. So he's basically playing the same character that he plays in Ants. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So Except th- instead of the general of an ant army, he's the general of the U.S. Army. Ah, that does seem like the only option. Unfortunately, it is. But Andre Brower is perfect. He is. You wouldn't so. want to see Christopher Walken as the officiant at the wedding. That could have been fine, too. <laughs> I don't know. The casting with, of Brian Hussain yeah. is pretty yeah. amazing there, too. I could also see that being Jim Gaffigan. <laughs> I just yeah. feel like if you're going for comedians that are goofy, that would be pretty good. All right. Moving on to best scene. Your favorite scene in the movie. Couple nominees. Uh, the bachelor party. When they go out dancing. I, you just have a thing for dance scenes, I you think. Know, he does. <laughs> question, then. Which dance scene is better? This bachelor party scene with Reed Richards using his long arms to grab the ladies? 
or Spider-Man 3 in the jazz club? Trick question. It's Son of the Mask, the full musical number. <laughs> You're right. Yes. You got it. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> that was a full Bollywood dance number, and I don't think we'll ever see the likes of that again. That is such an insult to Bollywood. <laughs> I, it, that's not my fault. Second nominee is the actual wedding day, the first wedding, mostly for the Stan Lee cameo, trying to get into the wedding. It's a nice little moment. Leading right off that then is Johnny chasing the Silver Surfer through New York and then into Washington, D.C. I I looked it up because I thought it was weird. They start in Manhattan and then like a second later, they're at the Washington Monument. The Human Torch can fly at 140 miles per hour. That means if you were going as the crow flies, it would take you an hour and a half to go from one city to the other. So he's just like following the Silver Surfer for an hour and a half, just flying through the air. He's getting bored. And then he finally says, time to end this. And he tries to punch him finally. I think the movie version is not beholden to the comic version, right. sadly. Maybe Johnny's like drafting off the Silver Surfer oh, yeah. and is sure. able to pick up Ooh, way above his top speed. I like that. I will say with that scene, the moment of the Silver Surfer actually surfing down the skyscraper Kind of cool. Kind of cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my hand here, and th- this is the only scene in the movie that I think is worth a best scene nomination. Oh, I know one that's better. <laughs> Would you describe that as the chase then, essentially? Yeah, the whole, the whole chase scene, and especially the moment where the Silver Surfer turns around and grabs Johnny. Like, that's a cool moment. Like, the o- again, probably the only thing in this movie that it's actually exciting. I'm going to say ditto with Tom quick. I know you've got one, but ditto on that. I mean, the, him catching Johnny's essentially the Bucky catching the shield as Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like it has that <laughs> moment of like, oh, shoot. Yeah. I know that it's not a montage, but would that scene have worked with Smash Mouth? Every scene works with Smash Mouth. <laughs> Next is the London fight scene where they save the people on the London Eye. And then the Thames dries up in that crater. Tom it, and I already said ours, so keep on going, it, Dan. It, you call it a fight scene, and that's not inaccurate. Yeah, yeah sure. A that's a cleanup scene. scene. Yeah. We've got, just for Cat, Johnny coming out of the shower. <laughs> He's so beautiful. This is... <laughs> you've gotten my attention. Can we say that this is like where you really start to see the potential of Chris Evans? Is it this film? I think the first one, honestly. It's I think pr- pretty he similar. was still the a little first scrappy time in the first one. You've ever seen Chris Evans in your life. That's the moment. That's not my choice, but... Wow, like, that's shocking. But like fair fair point about Chris Evans though. Couple of last nominees, the showdown with the surfer in the Black Forest. No. Okay. Yeah, the, the moment where the rocket goes into the the surfboard. Pretty, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but he doesn't do that again and there's like six missiles wide and he just put them all yeah. on the surfboard. We've got the chase through South China in the Fantastic Car nope. with Doctor Doom and then going into the final fight. Nothing there? Nothing there. Okay. No. Nah. So I'll agree with you, Tom and Matt. The chase scene with Johnny and the surfer through New York is definitely the coolest thing they've done in either of these two movies and is definitely the best thing about this movie. Uh, so Kat, you had you had a different scene you want to bring up? Well, you guys really threw me off with the whole Chris Evans thing, but <laughs> my choice is Stan Lee's cameo. It's not too often. I mean, of course, every time he's on screen in any of these cameo roles, he always brings a smile to my face. But there's something about like the joke of Stanley playing Stanley so obviously in this moment that I'm like, that's actually pretty clever and super cute. All right, let's move on to Villain Corner, where we rate the diabolical plan of the villain or villains. Kind of have three villains here. We've got Doctor Doom coming back, bringing it all back from the first one. We've got Galactus, the devourer of worlds. 
which is an awesome name for a really terrible character in this movie. And we've got the Silver Surfer. Not really a villain, but kind of working there. So we want to talk about their plans here. Galactus, eat. Yep. Uh, so that's pretty basic. Silver Surfer, uh, make it so that his uh, boss can eat. Which he pretty... does okay. Yeah, right. Yep. Uh, uh, that leaves us with Victor Von Doom. And his plan... Is to catch some sweet waves on the surfboard, yeah. bro. <laughs> Woo! But the problem with his plan is that he doesn't know what's going to happen because he doesn't understand the science until he's already partway through his plan. Yes. So he was either prepared for literally anything or the they kind of shoot past that. <laughs> as it seems to be a case in a lot of these, he's making it up as he goes along. Yeah. But it's because he's an evil genius that it seems like he has a plan. He's just making it up as he goes yeah, along. I, I just wonder what, like, if they find that the surfboard is actually just part of the Silver Surfer's body or something. Like, that kind of gives, like, <laughs> gives up any chance that he's going to get super, super powered. So it's like... He's really just banking on something going right for him, which in the movie it does, but it also doesn't make sense. Well, he's such a boring character in the first one. I'm like, why did they have to bring him back? They could have done anything with this <laughs> plot. They brought because he's the only other one they own. I guess. <laughs> I guess. What are the What are other Fantastic Four villains? Mole Man. Okay, I see why they didn't go with that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not one of the best ones. Um, Namor, which is a difficult one to do yeah those would be the major ones but usually victor von doom takes up most of their time or a monster that stanley just yelled a name across the bullpen and they drew it case in point fing fang foom which she actually said in like a documentary goes i was just yelling words and they would draw monsters for the fantastic four to fight it was a hell of a time (laughs) it was the thing that's too bad about galactus specifically is you guys make him out to be like this really cool character if you knew anything about the fantastic four background going into it I guess like it sounds like an interesting character that's hard to depict in film but as somebody who doesn't know anything about Fantastic Four or like the characters surrounding Fantastic Four I saw that as like what who was that what just happened like that character to me was nearly non-existent in this film you didn't Uh, understand when he did the PowerPoint on his belly (laughs) I mean I, I understood the character but like there was no big deal vibe of it for me. Like it was just like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know. That's- I mean, yeah, it's a major fault of this movie is that it does not provide that. It doesn't deliver for the fans that know who he yeah. is, and for the people that have <laughs> no idea who he is. Right. So it failed for all of us. Yeah. Yes. All right, moving on to capes and tights. Rate the superhero costumes of the movie. Is this the appropriate time to mention yet again how silly it is that during the scenes where Jessica Alba is, you know, like her scientist-y self, she has her hair up and she has glasses on, but when she's fighting, she has her hair down and she has like this blue winged eyeliner and lip gloss on and stuff. It doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah, they really did her dirty. She looks just super weird in this because the contacts are really aggressive. The hair, she went with a wig this time instead of dyeing it, and it looks super unnatural. Yeah, she, and she looks like she's from White Chicks. Yeah, yeah, it's and bad. like just based off her, like her skin tone in this compared to the first one, it like the whole thing just doesn't work, and so she looks unnatural. She looks like it, it's just like it's really bad costuming and, and hair and makeup and stuff. But other than that, no one's costumes really change, and then Silver Surfer is just a silver person. There is a slight costume change. Do you prefer the original Fantastic Four suit or Johnny's uh, super corporate logo suit? Well, that disappears without anything being said, so I'm ignoring it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
All right, next question is, which side character deserved their own spinoff? I was thinking maybe um, General Hager, like, after he leaves the military, maybe, like, decides to go into local law enforcement, like a police captain or something in, like, New York or something like that. that Adopts like a really fun. cute little corgi. Yeah. He's a cheddar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that, yeah. He's got to figure out how to put himself back together after being, like, vaporized by Dr. <laughs> yeah, Doom. Yeah, you but know, yes. once, once we got to that scene, my, my choice was a little unfortunate. The actual answer, not uh, just a Brooklyn Nine-Nine joke, is the Silver Surfer. Yeah, that's mine, too. It's like, there's potential for something really cool there. Just visually, I think it just, like, such a visually striking character. I don't know what they're going to do with the MCU with the character, but give me something off of that because it doesn't deserve to die in this movie. I'm going to go with Captain Ray, the uh, girl <laughs> that Johnny Storm keeps hitting on aggressively because uh, it turns out that she's actually a pretty badass superhero in her own right. Uh, she's known as Nova in the comics and did date Johnny Storm in the comics, even though apparently she's afraid of fire. So there's that. And her power is based off of uh, the same power that runs Galactus. So there must be some kind of weird crossover there. They could have set that up, but chose not to. Again, as somebody who didn't really know anything about these characters going into the Fantastic Four films, the Silver Surfer, I can see how there's a lot of potential there. And I just feel like they didn't deliver. So it'd be nice to have a film that felt more cohesive with that character. Next question is the producer's chair. If you can go back and change one thing about the movie, what would it be? Cut all the wedding stuff because I don't think that's necessary. If anything, it highlights the terrible chemistry between the two actors because as far as I can tell, they shouldn't be married. I don't remember them being steamy together in the first film. I don't think there's any reason that they should marry each other. And so you've got that. And I'll, I would even tack on cutting all the BS of, you're going to break up the team? Like they're like kids and there's about to be like a divorce type thing. Like that's just It's barely in there. It's in there enough. Like it takes up a bit. So I would say the start of the wedding stuff to the end of, are we going to break up or not? No, it's I, like I'm, your family. I'm agreeing with you in oh. that they don't do anything with it. No. So it's just... They, like, why is it there? I hate it. Yeah. I mean, speaking of no chemistry between those characters, you think about like the scene where basically Reed says that he thinks Sue cares more. He doesn't even say he thinks that Sue cares more about the wedding than she cares about, you know, like the potential destruction of New York City or, you know, the planet. But like there's clearly, I don't know, there's nothing there. And it does just make you think of how bad the relationship between those characters is. My change as a producer is just... You know, the first movie was fine. It set up the characters, but there's no reason you have to bring back the same director, the same writers, the same villain, basically the same look and feel. Like, just change something up. Get a different director, maybe hire a new writer, just to see if you can maybe make this a little bit different and maybe make it even better. They don't ever want to gamble when it comes to that kind of money. I know, They play it safe. I know. In hindsight, though, just take one gamble on this movie. Legitimately, my producer's share is don't make this movie. Like, (laughs) there's nothing about this that is like, yeah, we should greenlight this. Like, the script is bad. The director clearly was not strong enough to make anything of this. There's just nothing here that's worth trying to salvage. Maybe instead of Fantastic Four 2, they make the Fantastic Four, maybe with a new hip director, <laughs> and basically have the same characters in the movie, but just make it better. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no. I think the for your producer's chair, Tom, the studio would have been like, we've got money on the table here. We're making another Fantastic Four movie. I don't care if it kills us. All right, moving on to Dan's Sports Corner. Dan's Sports Corner, brought to you by Dell, Nokia, 
Crunchbar, Hydro Thunder, and Keebler. Wow, that's quite a lot. You're missing out on a few on his uniform. I also saw Ray-Ban, Colgate, Nationwide, and Crystal Geyser. I passed out, Dan. There were too many <laughs> to sponsor. That's fair. Uh, Sports Corner. So, two quick things. One, the Silver Surfer flies over Dodger Stadium in the very beginning. Kind of mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Second is, during. there's a scene with... I'm just going to call him Captain Holt because that's how I think of him. Sure. General Hager is lecturing Reed because um, Reed wants to go fight. And General Hager's like, no, we're taking over. And he says, well, actually, before I start, quick question. Do you three, you, you don't know sports very well. At least you two maybe don't. Tom knows a little bit better. Do you know what a quarterback is? Yes, I know. what. <laughs> okay. I'm not an idiot. That That's my point. I, I've watched a sport, Dan. I, I, why am I being put in a category of not knowing things about sports? That's yeah, I say that's it's, it's, it's mostly mad. I feel, yeah, I feel it's, mostly it's offended. Mainly, okay, <laughs> just, just to clarify though, all three of you know what a quarterback is and does. Yes. Yeah, okay. So General Hecker says, "I'm the quarterback. This is my team." But I guess you never played football in high school, did you? Read? Is he implying that like he doesn't know what a quarterback does and like how the team works? Why high school? Also, like I feel like with this metaphor, he's more of a coach. The quarterback's in the fight. He's doing stuff. General Hager's more of the coach directing the quarterback. Now that you say that, I feel like Reed Richards should have said, fine, you be the quarterback, but I'll be the coach. Like, just completely destroy his metaphor. Right. I mean, a quarterback can't win a game by himself. So, you know, that's the whole thing about being a team player. What position did you think Von Doom was playing in this scenario? It's definitely a free safety getting away with a few questionable middle of the field hits, maybe pre like 2005 rule changes, uh, just taking on some uh, head injuries. And uh, yeah, you really took that. I you, thought you would have just said like a drunk punter. You no. had to poke the bear. <laughs> I did. I did very much. So. The thing is definitely like a nose tackle. Sue is probably. Uh, well, for this movie, she's a cheerleader. Let's just okay, put her to right. the most obvious yeah. thing. And Johnny is definitely a hothead. He's a receiver for sure. You don't put the thing as like a fullback. No one can stop him. He's like the juggernaut. (laughs) So I I think he's a nose tackle, but maybe he comes in on third and goal. Like sometimes teams will put their nose tackle in at fullback to try to power through or at least a decoy. They do. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go. There's a player called the Fridge who used to do that. I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah. Anyway, that's Sports Corner. That was Dan Sports Corner, brought to you by Dos Equis, the only beer of this Marvel Universe so far, and more importantly, uh, the proud sponsor of the Fantastic Four Mobile is Dodge. It is on their chairs and the front of each of their individual pods. It was pretty funny to see them in a British pub all drinking Dos Equis. <laughs> it made zero sense. Newcastle would have been far more appropriate, but Dos Equis had the money. All right, let's move on to questions. What questions does this movie raise? What questions do you have? How much money did Dos Equis spend on this film? It shows up quite a bit. Well, how much money did Circuit City spend? Because they, they show up twice, and they went out of business right after this movie came out. So did this movie bankrupt Circuit City? <laughs> I think so. Is concentrating on a specific area of your face for the entirety of your wedding day really easier than just using a little bit of concealer on the tiniest zit ever on your face? And also, why did they need to include that? She's a woman. It's just like, come on. The opening of the movie, the Silver Surfer is um, like flying around the earth, and he flash freezes the ocean, the harbor in Japan. How can he flash freeze that, the, the actual ocean, without killing everybody? I, I, I felt you when you first said that, but as you just said the sense, he only flash freezes the harbor. Doesn't really help. I don't know how deep all the harbors of Japan are, but there's got to be one that's flash freezable for the sake of a Marvel movie. Not without <laughs> killing the fishermen on it. Okay, you got me there. 
Yeah, that's, I thought you were more my... upset about the science of freezing the actual no, no, ocean. no. If you those want... people would be dead. Yes, if you want to make this magical space surfer able to freeze the ocean, that's fine. But you got to kill the people if you're gonna do that's it. That's fair. I'm Commit all behind to the that. Bit. I'm so sorry. I questioned you. So Alicia, Ben's girlfriend. You said that like she was in the room. So Alicia, <laughs> could you tell us what you saw? Introducing our next guest, Alicia. Yeah. Alicia is blind in this movie. Yes. Uh, they make a big deal about how she can even sense people coming into the room. She's like, oh, hi, Johnny. And he's like, oh, how'd you know? So she's good with their senses. They established that. However, when a helicopter is barreling towards her, the the back chop... I don't know what a helicopter does, but like the back chopper wings... I think the going, rotary blade? Or yeah, is that something the, like yeah. that. <laughs> it's like coming at her face, like within inches, and she's just staying there going... Ben, where are you, Ben? Like, come on. Maybe maybe it's just too overwhelming for her senses, because that's a lot. I think it's also that she didn't know how to end it with the thing and just decided that was the best way to break up the relationship. <laughs> I, I also don't understand, though, why nobody thought to, like, and I know, like, a high adrenaline situation, but nobody would have thought to be like, oh, shit, we should really make sure that she's okay. So at one point, Reed says he's been tracking the surfer's movements through every astronomical database, and he notices that all the planets are are lifeless and that the surfer or Galactus is killing all life. Is it just like common knowledge that there are alien planets with life? I, I know in the MCU there is that, but in this universe, it's just like, oh yeah, I can just go on this astronomical database and watch all the life on this other planet. That's very skipped over. Where where they had like high definition photos of these planet surfaces that are galaxies away. Yeah, that they were very casual about that. I don't think that needed to be a thing. So they capture the surfer in Germany. Why do they have to take him all the way to Siberia? They need to do ungodly things to him. Well, and and why would Russia just allow the U.S. military to bring in some foreign object into their territory? Look, it's it's 2007. It's a more casual Russia. They've got plans on the back burner that we won't see until a couple years later. They would have let us do this. Speaking of that Siberian military base, how does the U.S. government put the Fantastic Four in a room and not prep the guard for the fact that, hey there's someone that can turn invisible if they open the door, like maybe make sure that she's not coming out. That's fair. Better question for that though is at that point when they deceive the guard and he asks for some DVDs, what DVDs do you think you would bring the Fantastic Four? Five Goes West. Five Goes West, sure. Maybe the first American tale? Uh, no, that seems like the type of thing where they'd only have one. That one is a bit of a downer though too. Yeah. Uh, Shrek was out at this time. Oh, so. oh Very probably true. Shrek. I, I assume Shrek. And yep. if it's anything but, shame on the U.S. military. Oh, I feel like the U.S. military was flush with Shrek back then. <laughs> Weren't we all? It was a simpler time. <laughs> Continuing on this thread, though, why do they bother to try to deceive them and like have Seuss sneak out? They're the Fantastic Four. They can break out of this room. The door is not even locked. They can just walk out, bop the guard on the head. And, I mean, the guard doesn't even stay. He, he says he's going to go look for DVDs and just walks away. They, <laughs> if it was that easy, just be like, hey, go get us some DVDs and you can all leave the room. I, I still have problems with this military base and I'm going uh, <laughs> to keep asking questions here. How does Victor Von Doom bring in a full supervillain suit? Like, is there no security when they're entering this base? Like, clearly, they've got to have metal detectors at the very least, and all his shit is metal. I was waiting for a reveal that General Hager was, like, an evil guy working with him, because it's all very, oh, yeah, we hired the villain. 
Makes sense. He'll help us out. It's also weird that they kind of set up for him to be the ruler of Latveria because they send him there. We go there. And then we're at the UN in London when they meet him. There's so many points where they could be like, oh, he's got diplomatic immunity, which is a big thing he uses in the comics to get away with a lot of bullshit. And it doesn't make any sense. Like, I feel like they're like, we don't have time to explain him. We've used up too much time on the wedding. Let's just, he's bad. People will know. Um, did Reed not think that his aircraft needed to be fully enclosed? It's an aircraft. The convertible The convertible Dodge aircraft that splits into pieces. Like, did he just think that, like, we we probably don't need to protect ourselves while we're flying at insane heights? And they fly fast. They go from the Great Wall of China to Shanghai, like... In a minute, and that's like a th- those are not next to each other. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the original, like in the comics, is an open top, which is the only reason why Ooh. they're doing that. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you said that. It doesn't make me feel better about the concept. It makes me feel slightly better about its usage here. I can tell you, it certainly wasn't a dodge. Okay, so like <laughs> that throws it all out the window for me. The depiction of this car in the film is pretty similar to what it looked like in the comics, from what I can tell. I give yeah, him that. Now that you mentioned it, I, I can kind of picture it. So, all right, let's move on to the cringe factor. What aged the worst? What doesn't look good anymore? Take it away, cat. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be this person, and I feel like it's been 70 to 95% of what I've talked about on this podcast, but it's pretty clear to me that Jessica Alba has aged the worst the way that she is portrayed um, in the film and, like, the things that her character says and does, and then the, like, the way that she was treated on set clearly is not good. It's the stuff that we talked about, like the scene where she's laying naked in the street. The fact that nobody even like comes to try to help her. They all just like sit there and stare at her and are like, oh, you're naked. And like, take photos. Yeah. Well, and even like, even the person who's supposed to be her fiance doesn't even help. It's like, she's truly just there to be... I mean, of course, she's a character in the Fantastic Four, which is why she's in this film. But it's like they don't do her justice at all. I think I brought this up in the first movie, and it still rings true. She's a character that's supposed to be invisible, and they do a damn good job of doing it. Yikes. Yeah. I wish I wasn't right. Yeah. I feel Uh, like I've been a real buzzkill. Sorry to everyone out there. I... I don't think the blame is on you, though. (laughs) No, it's not. It's definitely not on me. But, man, it's just like you hate to keep bringing up the same shit. And (laughs) this movie just makes me bring up that same shit, you know? We should also bring up the wedding at the end. Yeah. I I feel like I had a fun little answer for this until I saw that scene. Because I was going to say Alba and, and Griffith's performances are what aged the worst. And then I saw the wedding and that, like, ugh. For context, they have their wedding. They're in Shanghai originally. It's Are they in China? It looks like more like Japan. They it's clearly definitely, go to Japan. Definitely. Yeah. They're either, they went to Japan for this wedding, or they just like, there was no, no thought as far as like different Asian countries being different countries. Yeah. And Sue is wearing a kimono wedding dress. And they have a bunch of random Japanese people at their wedding that like, are they supposed to know these people? It it truly just feels like they're included as a way to bring like pretty hair and makeup and like a fun backdrop to yeah. this. 
They're like, it's, it's like terrible. L- legit like geisha like characters. I'd like to think they had an idea, which is the only reason why they would go to Japan, is that at the end they were going to set up the one time the Fantastic Four fought Godzilla. That's the only way that that could have been acceptable, <laughs> but that is in the comics, and if there had been some kind of tease... I would love this movie. I, even at the tease. Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. <laughs> Fantastic Four fights Yojimbo. <laughs> essentially. Essentially. All right. Let's wrap it up with the legacy question. Will this movie live on for future generations? No. No. Here's a question. If you were not familiar with the Fantastic Four, if any of the films, and you were like a teenager today, do you think if you wanted to watch a Fantastic Four movie that you would watch these movies or the newer Fantastic Four with like Miles Teller and what is it? Is it My- Miles yeah. Teller or Michael B. Jordan? Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. I think younger kids would be drawn to the Michael B. Jordan and then that'd just, be it. Just be careful with your braces. You don't want to bite through them again. <laughs> <laughs> I think with that, they would watch... That one, the newer one. I think so, too. If they didn't like it, maybe a kid would be desperate to go to the original. But trust me, by the end of seeing the first one, they would not watch The Silver Surfer. There's no chance they would. I think they would go to the new one, and they would not continue on after that. I think for kids today, these two movies are the equivalent of us watching the 1994 version. Like, it's that far removed of, like, what a good two-year movie is, where they're just like, I'd never want to see that ever. Yeah, because I feel like, I guess I don't know, but I don't imagine that there's a lot of Fantastic Four like toys and stuff like that at the stores right now because that's the yeah. only way that I could see like a kid being drawn to watching one of these films is if they were like, I love the thing, and then they yeah. found a way to watch these. But All right, let's wrap it up there. So next time. <laughs> we're excited. No one here has seen it. Have no fear. <laughs> Underdog is here. <laughs> Oh. oh, no. We are watching 2007's Underdog, starring Jason Lee as a talking dog. I, I question for the class here, uh, all you people out here listening to this that I clearly cannot see, raise your hand if you knew this was a thing. I do remember it. I, I, I remember it coming out, but I just I assume that the general public just completely forgot that this existed. It's going to be the air bud of superhero films. I will say it here for the record. I would bet a very, very small amount of money that I will enjoy Underdog more than I enjoyed this movie. Ooh. I, I do <laughs> intend to drink for Underdog and the podcast. <laughs> well, then you're definitely going to enjoy so it I more. So I think I'm going to enjoy it more. Well, stick around. That'll be coming up soon, Underdog. And if you're not feeling Underdog, we've got some other good stuff coming up. We are... Ugh. We are so close, you guys, to Iron Man and the MCU. I can't wait. I can't wait to rewatch the MCU for the 80 millionth time. And it makes me happy every time. And I feel like Dan and I are going to get in a lot of arguments, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. We've got MCU. We've got Dark Knight. We've got Punisher 2, Warzone. Yeah, a reason to watch that. We've got things like Watchmen, Hancock, uh, Hellboy 2. Lots of good stuff to talk about. So I'm looking forward to it. So stick around. Lots of good stuff coming your way. Uh, if you're on a podcast app, feel free to rate and subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Hey, tell your friends if you're enjoying the podcast and, you know, just want to build the audience. We'd love to hear from you. We are on social media, Facebook and Twitter if you want to find us there. We will see you next time. Next time.